Well, it is Valentine's Day, and but we're also in the midst of our series on spiritual warfare. So you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, how can we have a Valentine's Day sermon that goes with spiritual warfare? Well, if you forget Valentine's Day, there's going to be some battles. There's going to be some war in your house. Um, but no, in, in, in seriousness, the, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and marriages and the family and relationships um, because Satan often seeks to attack our relationships because relationships are where we mostly do the spiritual battling. Right? Yes, as we talked about last week, you know, Jesus in the wilderness, we, we uh, fend off temptation, and, and that's a, a real internal and personal battle. But when it comes to living out our faith, we often do that in the context of relationships. And so Satan will often seek to undermine, undermine those relationships. He'll undermine uh, marriages, families, all of those things. And as we are in our, our series on spiritual warfare, I've been using this book, Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture by uh, Cook and Lawless. And, you know, when I reference a book, sometimes I only take a little tiny part about, of it, and that's really been the case the last few weeks. But today, I'm really using their chapter on spiritual warfare and the family, and so I want to give credit where credit's due. But as we've seen, spiritual warfare, it's not a battle against flesh and blood. Our enemies in spiritual warfare are our own sin, uh, spirit, um, um, worldly patterns or systems, and Satan. And so you can think of the three S's, right? Sin, systems, and Satan. And our method of fighting is radically different than the fights we have in the world. We don't, again, battle in flesh and blood. We know that the true foes uh, that we're battling against, their greatest damage is on the spiritual realm. And so we do our fighting through prayer and standing in Christ's victory on the cross and um, self-sacrifice, the sword of the Spirit. That's why we're doing our scripture memory. And in all of these things, what we're trying to do is, again, make sure that those enemies, those spiritual enemies who are attacking, that we fend off those attacks. And one of the things about spiritual warfare and relationships is that what Satan and our own sin and the worldly systems try to get us to do is to start fighting one another instead of fighting the enemies. Right? That's it, especially when it comes to marriages, right? He'll try to get the husband and wife, instead of being, all right, we're a team, we're fighting together, to start fighting one another. That's one of Satan's key tactics. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at why marriages, why families, why relationships are so important in that spiritual realm, in the spiritual battle, but then we're also going to look at some of the common tactics that Satan uses to undermine relationships. Because this idea of spiritual warfare, although it's on a spiritual plane, don't make no mistake, it's, it's not just a concept, it's not just something that happens in our minds, it, it manifests itself in relationships, so that as we resist temptation, as we follow God, every situation, every relationship, we say, will we advance God's kingdom in this interaction, in this relationship? Will we be captured by the fallen patterns of this world or be captured by our own sin? And we make decisions based on that. Those things happen in relationships. 
And here's the thing, is that the closer the relationship, the more testing, the more opportunity for Satan that happens because you just have more interactions, right? If every interaction is an opportunity to extend God's kingdom or for Satan to have victory, then who do you have the most interactions with, right? The people you're closest to. That's why, again, the you know, husband and wife, that the marriage relationship, Satan attacks that a whole lot. But also family relationships, church relationships, any kind of relationship. But the closer the relationship, the more battling that has to happen. So why? Why are families, relationships, marriages, why are relationships in general so important to spiritual victory, so important as we do spiritual battle? Well, Cook and Lawless in their book point out three reasons. One is that we image the triune God's love in the context of relationships. Number two is we witness to the transforming power of the gospel in relationships. And number three, God uses other people to transform us to be more like Christ. And he uses us to help others transform to be more like Christ. There's relationship there. So let's look at those things first, why it's so important. Then we'll look at why or how some of Satan's tactics. First is imaging God. Remember at the beginning of this series, we went to the Garden of Eden, talked about creation. Well, in the creation account, you know, God makes all things, right? He says, you know, God made this. He beholds everything, and behold, it was good, right? He makes this. Behold, it was good. It was good. It was good. Every, this is before the fall. Everything's good except one thing. It's not good that man be alone. Remember that? And it's, he doesn't say this just because when men are alone, we do dumb things, you know, like... Like, you know, play with the electrical panel, get up on the roof, do things like that. Now, I mean, it's not good for man to be alone because people can't truly image God alone. Right? God is a trinity. He's a community of oneness. So even though Adam had a relationship with God, God said, no, it's still not good. He, you have to have a relationship with other people to truly image the triune God. And so he makes Eve who's compatible with him. So God is relational, and we image him in relationships. Now, we also deface that image often in relationships as well. But even the most introverted person among us, God has made with the need for relationships, and not just relationship with God, although we need that, but with others. And so as we love in relationships, we image God's love. And again, that especially is true of marriage, which is supposed to image the covenant love, an unbreakable covenant love between Christ and the church. But again, as we image that love in whatever relationship we have, we're imaging those qualities in God, the patient love, the long-suffering love, the forgiving love, all of that. We do that in relationships. But we also image we witness to the transforming power of the gospel in relationships. Because God can take people of diverse backgrounds, races, and cultures and unite us into one people. So the church is to be made up of relationships that transcend political differences, ethnic personality differences, the class divisions we see in the world. God's, our relationships are supposed to... Um, 
Again, witness to the power of the gospel, that God is above all that. He transcends that so he can take enemies and turn them into family members. Third, God uses relationships to transform us to be more like Jesus. And this is true in in all relationships, but it's especially true of marriage. Um, In Ephesians 5, 25, you know, every Valentine's Day, i got to read this scripture. Um, Ephesians 5, 25 says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So here we say husbands are to love their wives like Christ. So husbands, you're supposed to be being transformed and loving your wife like Christ loves the church. And what is, what's the response here? So that might, she might grow in holiness. What's holiness? That's being set apart for God. So as husbands live, love their wives, they become more like Christ. And wives, you become, as you be, grow in holiness, you become more like Christ because Christ is also holy. So there's that mutuality of growing in Christ-likeness, that relationship, that marriage relationship is meant to transform us to be more like Christ. Now that sounds all nice and sweet, but it also means if you're to grow to be like Christ, that means you grow in patience. Well, who's going to try your patience so that you grow in patience? Well, whoever's closest to you. So yes, your husband, your wife. When I do pre-marriage counseling, counseling, one of the things I I often point out, because, you know, people who are engaged, they come and they say, oh, you know, everything's so nice, and my, my mate is, my, you know, my um, fiancé is so perfect, and they never do anything wrong. And go, listen, you're going to have to forgive your spouse more than you forgive anyone else in the entire world. And it's not because they're any worse or better than anyone else. It's just, again, the closer the relationship, the more the testing, the more that you are going to, um, again, have the opportunity to forgive. And in that, though, you're growing in Christ-likeness because Christ forgives. He is a forgiving love. And if we're going to grow in forgiveness, we have to do it by forgiving. So, the marriage relationship really helps us grow. But this is true of any relationship, right? That, that this growth in Christ-likeness happens in all relationships. Again, it's just the closer the relationship, the more opportunity, the more transforming opportunity. So say, see, that's a good way to say it. So if your spouse or anyone, your kids or your relationship with someone, you know, today and they're really bugging you, you can just say, thank you for that opportunity for transformation in my life. So the importance of relationships in our growth towards Christ-likeness, I think there's a scripture, we looked at it before, but I want to circle back to it. It's Colossians 3, 5 through 21, and I want us to read it in the sense of, first of all, it's going to preview some of the ways Satan attacks, and I'll point that out, but it also, just look at how Paul, as he's talking about how we live the Christian life, how it has so much to do with relationships. But then also read it through the lens of spiritual warfare. 
how, wow, that in the context of relationship, there's great opportunity, yes, to grow and be transformed and grow in Christ's likeness, but there's also a great opportunity for, um, for failure and sin and Satan to undermine our walk. So let's look at it. It's Colossians 3, verses 5 through 21. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So notice that. Put to death what's earthly in you. That means the sinful systems of the world, the earthly systems, and our own sin. He's saying, yeah, put spiritual warfare. Put that stuff to death. And tells you, list some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Now he lists some more things to put away. And these are a lot of relationship things, right? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. So don't lie to one another. Satan's the father of lies. Like, put that stuff off. That, you're, you don't live in that anymore. You don't follow Satan and his lies. So put that stuff away. And I've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, renewed to God's image, being transformed into God's image. That's what relationships do. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, any Scythians here, um, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Again, that talks to the transforming a power of the gospel, right, to take people of diverse groups and bring them together in relationship. Verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, notice those words, put on um, meekness and kindness, put on love. Same word of put on the armor of God, right, from Ephesians. It's very similar that we gear up for spiritual battle as we put on the quali these qualities of God. Uh, Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, spiritual warfare, sword of the spirit, having the scriptures in us. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's, in other words, you're reflecting Christ in everything you do. You're being transformed into his likeness. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And you see, as this emphasis on relationships is going forward, then there's this very natural transition to families, to talking about husbands and wives and children, because that's one of those relationships where you're going to be able to image God like no other place because of the closeness. 
Now, because all of these are relational arenas where we do spiritual warfare, and that includes families, it's a reminder that spiritual warfare, it's done in relationships. Yes, again, there's also this internal battle where we talked about with Jesus and the, the, uh, the temptations last week. That's true, but so much of spiritual warfare is done in relationships because we were meant to fight together, fight side by side. And so many times Satan tries to get us to fight one another. And again, this is especially true of husbands and wives, but it's true of every Christian relationship. In Colossians, this passage we just read, it reflects all those assumptions that if you're going to live your Christian life, if you're going to do spiritual warfare, it's going to happen in relationships. And so we image God, we image the gospel, and we're transformed in his likeness in our relationships, and especially in those closest relationships like marriage. All right, so how will Satan undermine? What is some of Satan's tactics? We see some of these reflected in our scripture reading. Um, And so unrepentant sin, unrighteous anger, accusations, and inattention. Most of these are alluded to in our our scripture, but let's look at these. Unrepentant sin. Last week we talked about Satan tempts us to not follow God. Jesus resisted those temptations. But here's the thing is our sins are not just against God. In relationship, our sins are also against other people. That's why when Ephesians, excuse me, Colossians 3, when it goes in verse 5, it says, you know, put away sexual immorality. Because one of the leading things that destroys the marriage relationship is sexual immorality. And that includes pornography, by the way. But it's a personal sin that betrays that relationship and undermines it. But there are more because it's not just talking about family relationships. There's more sins that are listed. Like verse 8 says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Again, when we lie to one another, that undermines trust in our relationships. And Satan is the father of lies. Or with malice and slander. We tear down one another. That's not loving. We tear. The the goal with slander and malice is to tear down, not to build up and transform, but to tear down. We can sin from one another. That's why Paul's saying, put these things away. We must resist these temptations. And again, it can be hard if you grew up in a family where you're just, you know, you're used to tearing one another down and stuff. But again, it says, put away those old things and put on love. Or if you're trying to use other people for your benefit, then you're sinning against them. That's not loving them. That's why verse 21, it says, fathers don't provoke your children to wrath. What's that about? Well, we can intentionally rile up our children. We can have impossible expectations for them. Or we can try to live through them instead of loving them. Or we can be more concerned with what people think about us than really raising our children up the right way or or raising them up in a way that's truly loving to them. All of these things lack love. All of these things God will will use in your life to bring these things up in your life to, to show that we need to put on love. So wherever we're practicing unrepentant sin, we need to know that it's not just between us and God. It undermines our relationships. It undermines our marriages. It undermines our families. 
Now, I say unrepentant, and I think that's an important qualifier because remember our memory verse for today is, right, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the things about relationships is that if they are a, a, a Christ-based relationship, if, especially if it's a marriage, then the, actually those relationships are meant to be safe places where we work through our sin and help one another transform. So that when we repent, when we say we're sorry, when we apologize, then that relationship is a place where forgiveness starts to grow and we're actually transformed. That's why I say unrepentant, because um, when you do repent, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then as we repent in that relationship, there, there builds a greater trust, there's a healing, there's a forgiveness. And especially in the marriage relationship, right? You have made a covenant of love so that when you will fail, and you will fail, that is a safe place where you're saying, well, I'm stuck with you. So I'm going to help you grow through this. I forgive you, and we're going to grow through this together. But that only happens when you repent of it, when you confess it and say, yeah, I acknowledge you. This is wrong. But in that, there can be healing. But I have also seen many families where there is, and again, it doesn't have to be sexual immorality. It can just be a a propensity towards wrath and, and, and verbal abuse. And you say, I follow Christ, and you go home and you berate your family, and then you know what your kids start thinking? They think, well, they say this Jesus is life-transforming, and yet I don't see my father's life being transformed when we're alone in the privacy of our home. And then that hardens their hearts to the gospel. Many people's hearts have been hardened to the gospel because they know the real whoever, Christian, when no one else is around. That's why it's so important to be a person of integrity who lives the same way when you're around people as when you're at home. And if you truly trust Christ, then he's supposed to transform your lives and your relationships, even your close ones. And so if you're living in a, a, a sin, one of these things that was read in this scripture, and you know, yeah, that's wrong, and I want to grow from it, repent from it. Confess it. Confess it to God. Confess it to your family. You know, and as parents, if you're a parent and you're listening, you know what, it, you, should be, you should say sorry to your children every now and again because you're not a perfect parent. And when you say sorry, you're actually exhibiting the gospel because you're saying, no, I need Christ's forgiveness. And so I can easily say, yeah, I kind of messed up as a parent doing that. Or, or, or whatever relationship it is, we actually, it's not being perfect and not without sin. We actually can witness to the gospel by saying, I'm sorry. And you know what? Yes, when we sin, that's a victory for Satan. But we can, we can actually reverse his victory and turn it into a victory for God when we confess and repent because then we're witnessing to the power of the gospel that God can take sin and sinners and transform them and forgive them. So sin is not the last word. We say Jesus won victory on the cross and look, he won victory right here against, on this sin in my life. That's why I'm confessing it. So yes, that's where in relationships, Satan will try to use sin 
to undermine that relationship, but he does not have to win, even when we fall in sin. All right, second thing, unrighteous anger. Satan will use unrighteous anger, and I say again, unrighteous, because um, anger is not a sin. Right? Jesus was angry. Being angry is not a sin, um, but it does give Satan an opportunity. That's what Ephesians um, 4, chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 say this. Be angry and do not sin. So see, you, you can be angry but not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and go give no opportunity to the devil. So again, being angry is not a sin. But if anger is left undealt with, it often becomes an opportunity that Satan can enter and turn that into sin because undealt with anger, like anger's energy. Anger is energy for action. And so if it's righteous anger, it's energy to do something about it. So if you see someone being wronged, if you see a, a, a you know, when a child gets abused, you should be angry. That's not right. And that anger is meant to give us energy to act. But if we're angry, and it's not righteous. In other words, we can get angry and it's not really about anything right. Or we can, it can start out right, but then we just let it fester and burn. Then that energy starts to burn us up on the inside. Instead of it, it bur- giving us a fire to heal and bring some uh, resolution in a relationship, it can just eat us up and burn us on the inside. And so that's why it says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you're angry, that means you're supposed to do something about it. Even if that thing is, again, especially in the context of of marriage, is, all right, you know, I'm mad. We need to talk about this. And, And it might turn out that it's a misunderstanding, or it might turn out there's the opportunity for forgiveness. There's the opportunity to grow in understanding. So if we're gonna grow in Christ likeness, we use that anger to warm our relationships instead of burn them down. Because if we don't deal with our anger quickly, it often turns into something like bitterness or depression. Because anger turned inside is depression, often results in depression. But we need to deal with it. Satan will use our anger to undermine our relationships. The other thing Satan, one of the other tactics, is blaming. He will use blaming. And he will use accusations. And that makes sense because Satan is the accuser. One of his favorite tactics is accusations and blame. And we see Adam did this in the Garden of Eden. Remember when we talked about this a few weeks ago, that when Adam sinned, God said, what have you done? And you remember what he said? Yes, this woman whom you gave me, blaming the wife so that inst- and so that instead of them having a unified front against Satan now they're divided they're blaming one another strong healthy relationships have accountability that's true so that when you do something wrong you talk about it right but that's a lot different than accusation accountability is keeping us accountable to grow in Christ likeness Accusation seeks to either tear down or to to validate our own 
sin, to pass the blame. So I've heard it all as a pastor, but you know, you know, my, my, my spouse wasn't whatever. My spouse wasn't meeting my needs, so I had to leave. Or he made me lose my temper. He doesn't make you lose your temper. You, we, you are responsible for you. Take ownership, accountability for your part. And yes, strong relationships have mutual accountability so that if we sin against one another, then, then yes, we approach one another in Matthew 18 and we work through it and there's repentance, there's forgiveness. So accountability actually strengthens relationships, actually helps us to grow in Christ-likeness. But accusations and blaming are usually meant to absolve us from from doing our part, from taking responsibility for our part, so that, oh, because you did this, I'm justified in not loving you. I'm justified in not doing my part because you didn't do your part. That's blaming. That's where accusations and Satan comes in to undermine our relationships. Again, that's very true of the marriage relationship, but it's true of all relationships, isn't it? Satan is the accuser. And he will sow division through blame. And another way that he sows blame, and this, this isn't, well, this has to do with every relationship, but this has just been bothering me lately. Um, you know, you can't know a person's motivations unless they tell you. So one of the ways that I see accusations and slander going around so much in our world is people assuming they know other people's motivations, right? So in the context of a personal relationship, someone does something kind of crazy. Well, you're trying to make me look bad. How do you know that that's what that person is doing? How do you, can you see into their heart and think about how does that make someone else feel? Wait, you think that I'm trying to make you look bad? You think that's how I, how I roll? See, that's an ex- example of slander and malice, not putting on kindness. And again, so much of this is in partisan politics, right? Where the opposition, whatever party you're in, the other party has these motivations that are always the ultimate evil, right? No one can ever do anything for for any other reason that they're evil, right? It's ridiculous. Almost every single Facebook post that's that's political has is basically slander and malice, assuming the worst of again whoever the opposition is. That tears down relationships. That's why in verse 8, right, of, of Colossians, it says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, and slander. Right? Malice and slander. That's what, when you say, think you know someone else's motivations, right, and you impute upon them. Again, some motivation that you can't know That's slander. That's malice. But what are you supposed to do in verse 12? Right? Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. You know what kindness is? Kindness is assuming of others what you would want them to assume of you. So instead of assuming the worst motivations, assuming the worst of a person, you actually assume the best, until they prove you otherwise. And believe me, there's plenty of people who will prove you otherwise. 
But still, to get, like, even of your enemies, put on that heart of kindness. I mean, I see that that happens in marriages, that happens in all relationships, but it seems to be an epidemic in our culture right now of slander and malice being the norm instead of the exception. All right, sorry, I went off on that rant. But the last thing Satan will use. But Satan uses that because he's the accuser, right? The other thing Satan will use is inattention, right? Inattention. Where we can't fight side by side if we're never near one another. (laughs) See, the closer the relationship, the more responsibility that you and I have for that relationship to fight together. So there's a higher responsibility to your spouse and your children than your coworker. Right? Yes, you have a responsibility to them too, but your highest responsibility to fight side by side is with your family, with your spouse. You still love both, but the home is the ministry priority because God gave that relationship to you first and foremost as a place where you're going to extend his kingdom. So fight for it. Right? That is your first line of defense. That's your first arena of battle is your home. And that's where you have the highest responsibility. So don't ignore it. Don't forget about it. Fight for it. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your family. But then also, yes, that's your primary fight, fighting arena. But then fight for your friends, your, your, your Christ-centered friends. You're there in their life. Don't forget about them. If you're not near them, you can't stand by side with them. Don't forget about your church family. So my friends, all Christian relationships, these are all things that Satan, tactics he uses to undermine our families, to undermine our relationships. But we're supposed to support one another in the battle. We're supposed to fight alongside one another with all the ways Satan attacks and what's he trying to do? He's trying to divide you, trying to divide your family, trying to divide our church, trying to divide your friendships so that at the very least, he'll get you fighting against one another because if you're, we're fighting against one another, then we're not you know, fighting Satan and their true enemies. But unfortunately, sometimes he even destroys. Sometimes Satan destroys marriages. He destroys friendships. And again, that can have an effect effect on generations. But because of the centrality of relationships to God's kingdom, when you see Satan attacking your family, when you see him attacking relationships, react. We don't, don't just be passive. This is a battle. This is war. So react by, first of all, repenting. And if any of those things that we read in these, these scriptures... Right? You see them in your heart, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, um, wrath, slander, malice, obscene talk, lying. If any of those things, if, if you're, the hair on the back of your neck stood up a little bit because you know this, and the Spirit was giving you conviction, well, then repent of that. If, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a battle, and that is a satanic attack So stand up against it. Disarm the anger. Disarm the accusations. So if you have anger or, again, you're accusatory, 
just disarm that. Make that commitment to God that, no, I'm not going to let the sun go down on my anger, and I'm going to stop blaming. Again, that might trigger some, again, uh, some conviction on you in your marriage, or it might trigger you on how you deal with friends, and it might even trigger you on how you deal with enemies. But whatever the case is, don't let Satan have this victory. And then pay attention to one another's need. Let's double down in prayer and the word when it comes to relationships. And be proactive. So, you know, I hope that some of you are sitting here like, yeah, no, my marriage is good. My relationships are good. Well, be, pr- pray now. We don't have to wait until things are crumbling, until we're under a full-fledged attack, right? We can, we can build up our defensives now. So we can pray now. When, with our, if our relationships are good, let's start praying. Be intentional. Shore up those relationships through attention. Be present. Right? The sign outside says, be present. That is the only gift, that's the gift that only you can give to your Valentine. Right? Being present. Taking those opportunities to build that relationship, even if it's going well. And, very, and maybe just on a very basic level, maybe this Valentine's Day, to the people you love, just reaffirm your alliance with them. That, no, I'm, I'm fighting. I'm, I'm fighting for you. I'm standing beside you. So in your marriage, especially if you're in the middle of an argument or a fight, just stop and say, no, no, wait. We are fight. We're on the same side. Let's fight together against Satan instead of fighting one another. Let's pray. Let's read the word. But then also, church members, right? We're not fighting one another. We're fighting together. We affirm that. I'm standing with you. And our friends, Valentine's gift, I'm going to stand with you. Be present and just reaffirm that. And that's a wonderful gift. And that's how... We do spiritual warfare in relationships, right? Together. Let's pray. Dear God, we confess, Lord, we have fallen short in so many of these things. Lord, we confess our immorality, our anger, our unrighteous anger, our, our slander, our blaming. And Lord, we ask that you would be transforming us. We confess it and stand on your promise. And Lord, help us to have that mindset that we would fight together. And Lord, show each person here, Lord, you've brought conviction on each one of our hearts in a different way. So we ask that you would show us how to respond. That we wouldn't leave this place without making, Lord, that decision to follow whatever you have shown us. Because we want our relationships to image your love, God, your, the, the love of, of the Trinity. We want our relationships to image the gospel. And, Lord, we want to be transformed into your likeness. We thank you that you've given us one another to help transform us, Lord, our, our, our spouses, uh, but, Lord, also our church family and our friends. You've put them into our lives so to help us be transformed. We pray we'd step into that truth. We wouldn't run from it. We'd stand side by side, 
and support one another in this battle. And Lord, you would do what only you can do. You transform us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.